Dakota St. Clair, and we are here for another M4 episode. <laughs> I'm joined by my two fabulous co-hosts. We are Legion. And I'm Daphne Malfitano. <laughs> uh, no, Daphne, we're both Legion. We were Legion together. I'm, I'm really, like, I'm trying to keep it together with my intros. <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, not listen to you, actually, because it always derails me. I've told you before, we're playing Mario Kart, that fucking turtle shell comes at you every yeah. time. And so I have to just now just stare off into the distance and zone out and then just say, say my name really quickly before I forget what my That's name it. is. I think this is effectively me being cast into a herd of swine as Legion. I think I just got rebuked into a herd of swine. Uh, so I'll be walking off into the ocean now. I don't know. You have the biggest uh, team. <laughs> team Vince is the biggest team. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't think that's necessarily that's true. That's 100%. I don't think the the outspoken. The outspoken people. true. The people who have chosen a side actively. Yes. And Maybe have, there are people spoken. that have chosen a side that don't feel the need to profess it to other well, people. Well, then they haven't. Maybe those people are on well, sides. That may be true. But. That's fine. We've also consistently asked them for weeks. Yeah. To also, we've, we've, yeah, we've made I mean, it really that's, clear. That's real cute. You're not helping anybody. Thanks. We're only comfortable if they say it in a written text. Also, just right. a heads up. I'm trying to keep it together, y'all. I got Invisalign today, so I kind of sound oh, crazy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do the best <laughs> that I can. Dakota's not drunk. He can't really tell that much. I, I'm trying really hard. I keep having to suck my spit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so lispy. I don't know. So I like that you got bow, it bow, like an hour bow, before bow, bow, the bow, podcast. Bow, bow. Yeah, because I didn't know it was going to be that big of a deal. I also didn't know. I feel like I really didn't get a lot of information going into this. Like that all. They didn't prepare you for your Invisalign. They did, and they were they were like, "Oh yeah, Vince, what are you saying?" Vince is nothing. It's just under. Don't worry about it. God, subliminal. I was listening. Subliminal messaging. Subliminal messaging. We're really we're seriously about to fucking stoop to subliminal messaging. I had braces for six. Also, stoop. <laughs> this isn't a stoop. We're gonna rise to subliminal messaging. I live. Okay. <laughs> My God. Um, Hi everyone. I, to, I literally just saw it the other day. I actually want to get it tattooed. It was a. Uh, you ever seen the movie They Live? Yeah. No. What is that? They Live, man. Come on, with Rowdy Roddy Piper with the fucking glasses. Where it's like the origin of Obey's entire marketing aesthetic. Oh yeah, from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, it's futuristic. He gets these these special glasses and he looks around. He can, and he see, can see all the they're yeah. like aliens are running. Alien everything. people, but they're like skulls. Like it's like he sees on all the ads. It's like, it's like Coke, yeah. and then he sees it and he looks and it says obey, like eat, sleep. Oh, you'd don't... love it. Oh my god, it's <laughs> you so were good. adding more detail and removing more context. For me. I have no idea. It's like a really campy, like eighties sci-fi horror. It's a huge cult classic. So, it's awesome. Uh, it also still holds the record for the longest on-screen fight. Ever. Oh yeah, what? I haven't yeah. seen it in so long. It's, it's so good. literally the reason that Family Guy has that long-standing joke of the, the chicken. chicken. That's yeah. from that's they live. That's from? It is. Yeah. That's true. 
That's hilarious. Yeah, it's like, I well, loved that you know, chicken bite. You need to get you some culture. You need to. <laughs> You need to remember that things happened before you were born that were cool and interesting. And we're literally doing a mythology today. podcast. Yeah. I do, as a history teacher, I do my best to remember things that happened before. It's good for your job. It is. There's a lot it's of stuff. It's actually great. So. This is. I really feel like you need to watch this movie and then make your kids watch it. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, you'll get it, Daphne. You know exactly what the alien faces look like. They're all yeah, up. yeah, yeah. You'd recognize it <laughs> if you saw a photo. Because it's like so every regular, it's like a happy family, and then they like he looks at it with through the glasses, and then it's like these creepy skull alien yeah. faces, oh. but with like some, all the subliminal messages that it's right. not like drink coke, it's like obey and do the yeah. Oh no! Yeah, yeah it's like, awesome. Bye. Yeah, it'd yeah, be like buy, cool. spend your money, don't wake up, sleep. Consume, yeah. consume, consume is like Ooh. on everything. So they're controlling everything subliminally. It's it's it's, it's a really good. great fucking Co- mid eighties yeah. like takedown of capitalism with one of the WWF's big biggest stars. <laughs> of the time. And it's like really campy. It's fun. It's really campy. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's all of this to say. Um, that very iconic, like what they look like without their faces on when you look at them through the mask. Yeah. Somebody drew that and then put like the John and Kate plus eight haircut on it. Oh and my so God. They put they the Karen haircut. Laugh, love. No. <laughs> oh no. I that's want a tattoo so on me. They live, laugh, love. Yeah, that's pretty that's good. Hilarious. Oh, that's, that's so, so good. That would be a really good tattoo. Mm-hmm. I feel like. That would be yeah. good. So, to <laughs> from one non sequitur to another, today we're doing Joan of Arc. Um, yeah. I, was, <laughs> yeah. I, was bit, I was a little at a loss for our concept episode of like, yeah, cool, we know what we're going to talk about, but like, what the fuck do we do for an M4 episode? And it was like, you know, this really interesting sticking point that sort of seems to be at the intersection of Ares, Aphrodite, and Hermes, because you have this like figure of doubtable gender variance and sexuality who was also like prone to ecstatic visions and prophecies and played a huge role in a major war and everyone tries to tell the story of Joan of Arc to fit a specific narrative they're trying to sell and so you have this sort of like very odd liminal figure that's continuously intriguing you have the idea of like a woman on the battlefield so it's kind of this weird mishmash of all the things that we talked about and are going to talk about so i thought that it would be a great sort of jumping off point for us um as it also touches a lot of other stories that are important to each of us as well that we'll talk about afterwards so if we're ready we're gonna jump right in to to saint joan of arc Uh, (laughs) many people know a little about her but few know a lot so buckle up kids this story is a doozy picture it france 1412 <laughs> john doc yeah. is born no i should no, stop plays yeah <laughs> the hundred years war has been raging for a good 75 years already between the that's English most and the of the French. war yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> the way through. you're late joan you're late <laughs> so yeah it's been already raging between the english and the french for the throne turns out that the english at least in this case were a bunch of real bastards about it because almost all of the fighting was happening in france and england was going totally scorched earth on them so france was devastated by the ongoing war in every way imaginable especially since they still hadn't fully bounced back from the black plague by the time joan can walk france is hanging on by a thread this the sounds french very king... familiar i have to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> the... <laughs> 
The French king was legitimately insane and unable to rule, <laughs> while his brother, the Duke of Orleans, and their cousin, the Duke of Burgundy, were in a blood feud over the throne and the royal children. Cousin has brother assassinated in 1407, and things really start to get good. Henry V invades in 1415, eight years later, and his timing could not have been better. You see, amidst the larger war between England and France, there were still several French factions who were actively battling each other into mutually assured destruction, namely the battles between the Armagnac and the Burgundian, led by John the Fearless, who was the Duke of Burgundy. While the English are burning down the country, in swoops the Burgundians to take Paris and slaughter the Armagnac. Shortly afterwards, Charles VII, who was just a child at the time, signed a peace treaty with the leader of the Burgundians, that John the Fearless guy. And all would have been well and good, and they could have united, and they could have fought off the English. However, the very few Armagnac left then assassinated John the Fearless. Oh, and they oh. did it during a meeting where Charles had already guaranteed his safety. So then they thought, oh, God, the fucking infant king is in on it, apparently. Which, you know, he's a baby. But if you listen to our last M4 episode, not always an assurance that yeah, <laughs> no one's no, going what's on. going on. Yeah, Babies be out here sometimes. We didn't talk yeah. about what Hermes did after the sun went down. A raging assassination could have absolutely been in the cards. <laughs> that would have been par for the course of that day. A hundred percent. It's like he had a bingo card and he was just trying to get yeah. a full sheet. You know what I mean? Scavenger hunt of Hermes terrible things. That's it. Uh, right, right after fire and sacrifices and the liar was bingo. I feel like, I don't know. Don't ask me why. I just feel like Hermes is more of a Yahtzee kind of individual. I don't know. It's loud and it's, fast. Yeah, saying and... Yahtzee really loud. Yeah. Uh, seems like something Hermes would be into. So at this point, you know, they could have all united fought off the english there's these two french factions they fight one loses there's like three guys left so they kill the leader of the other faction everybody thinks that the baby king is in on it it's a mess now enter the duke of burgundy philip the good who immediately gives <laughs> charles the finger the baby blames him for john's death and makes a deal with the english they then level most of france in short order just like sidebar what would your thing be so far, we've had John the Fearless, and we've had Philip the Good. I like that you also said gave the baby the Charles the Finger, and I heard it as Charles the Finger, and I was like, that's yeah, a weird one. Oh, that's Charles not what that means. <laughs> no. And then I realized. Charles the Finger. Finger. Yeah. That's a creepy <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In really any regard, it is a creepy one, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, what are we then? I don't know. I really wanted to say Yahtzee again after we were talking about Yahtzee. I like, feel like you're uh, just going to be like... Vince the Vance. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Vince yeah. the Vance. Yeah. There it is. 100%. Yeah. And then what are we, what's Daphne? I don't know. I need a cool one. Personally, I think it has to be something like genuinely would strike fear into people. Like That's what yeah. I think, too. It has I think, to be a but scary It has one. to be simple, too, because yeah. they weren't trying to use a bunch of syllables. No. So I feel like the red... Because it just implies Daphne blood the and Red, fire. yeah. Or oh, Daphne. I like that. Honestly, Daphne the Terrible. <laughs> or, yeah, Daphne the Terrible. You know what I mean? I feel like that one's been done. It's like been used. <laughs> Ivan has a lock on that one. I, I, want to be, I love Daphne the Red. I like that. Okay. <clears throat> what would it I kind of reminds me of. It Bave. also sounds really medieval. Like. Or is that how you pronounce that name? What name? Bave. The, Spell like, it. Uh, part of. Uh, it's like B A. Irish letter B. It's like the third, one of the third. Oh, uh, bad. It looks like bad B. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's babe. Ba okay. Bave. Yeah, babe. Bave. It's uh, one of the parts of the Morgan. 
yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. always picture her as like just kind of like leaving a red like the horizon just being kind of tinted red when she's around yeah yeah we already said you're one of the carries one of the blood soaked maidens on the fucking battlefield that just like tears everybody yeah. down to hell and screams <laughs> on the way so it's perfect yeah Daphne, Daphne the red, the red. Yeah, um, I like it. And then you're yeah. like, you, you have to be like Dakota the seer or something. Like Dakota, it has to be something where you're like the one with like either like, like vision of some kind, whether Dakota it's like stories be, or, oh, you know what I mean? I feel mean? like Dakota would be a of and then a place because everyone goes to that place to talk to Dakota. That's no. exactly. Yeah. There's you're like a, a pilgrimage. Dakota, All right. Well, Dakota of Bushwick. Dakota of yeah, Bushwick. Because yeah, everyone goes to Bushwick to talk to you. It's real. Yeah. These are yeah, good. These are fun. I They're like actually it. correct. <laughs> Vince the Vance, though. Yeah. <laughs> We've done us as gods. Now we're Knights of the Round Table. But yeah. it's not exactly round, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So at this point now, we're talking it's 1420, right? Things take another turn. The Queen of France signs the Treaty of Troyes, handing over the throne to England. So you'd think, oh, shit, it's all over. At this time, the two kings are Henry V for England and Charles the baby, the sixth, for <laughs> France. They both die in 1422 within a few months of each other. God. Henry the sixth is an infant, new baby, okay, <laughs> and in charge of everybody. So now there's just a baby that's in charge of England <laughs> and France. They're a hot mess. And this baby Boss is baby. not Hermes. I'm just keep your expectations low. <laughs> this baby is not about to, like, go steal some cattle. This is like um, a goo-goo gaga baby. Colon, yeah. the before times. Yeah. <laughs> By the time Joan comes of age, it's 1429, and huge swaths of France have already been taken by the English and their asshole buddies, the Burgundians, who are basically like French traitors because they're like in solidarity with England. Basically, all that's left is Orleans, which is situated on a river in a prime location for trade, defense, etc. And the English are sieging the fucking place and wearing them down more and more. They're hanging on by a thread. Now, it should be noted that there had been local prophecies in this part of France for generations that, quote, France will be lost by a woman and won by a virgin. Hmm. Okay? It was already halfway fulfilled as the queen had just signed over the throne to England. Oh. Lost by a woman. All right. So let's check in with our miraculous virgin, shall we? Joan grew up in an isolated rural bit of eastern France, which had remained loyal to the crown. At the age of 13, she experienced her first ecstatic vision. Standing in her father's garden, she saw St. Michael, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and St. Margaret of Antioch appear before her, and she wept at their beauty. They told her to drive out the English and take Charles VII, a boy not much older than her, to Reims for his consecration. Okay? Hmm. She tried to talk to the people in charge. She did actually try. She was 16, and she was demanding to see the king. She's some peasant girl, and she didn't get very far somehow. She waited about a year and then proclaimed that there would be a devastating reversal at the Battle of Rouvray. No one believed her. Several days later, the news came, and she had been all too correct. So she gets the meeting with the king, and she's like, hey, king. I'm an illiterate farm girl who has visions and several saints told me that I got to be on the front lines in the war and I'll get you your throne back. And he's like, sounds legit. So <laughs> like, what's he going to do? So she heads to Orleans and arrives on April 29th, 1429. Dude in charge barely tolerates her existence and won't tell her shit about what's happening. He wouldn't tell her about important meetings, but 
there she was. He wouldn't tell her about the battles, but there she was. And during her brief time with the army, the siege suddenly changed. They were quickly regaining the ground that they had lost and were expanding their base of operations. And then, on May 7th, she led the men on an assault against the main English stronghold in the region. They came out victorious, and the siege was over. She was wounded in battle by taking an arrow between her neck and shoulder. She had said she would provide a sign or miracle at Orleans, and the siege lifting got prominent clergy, like the archbishop, to support her, and then so did the military leadership. She went on to plan and help carry out a series of stunning victories, which constituted a total sea change in the dynamics of the war. And by July, they had arrived at Reims, where Charles VII was in fact consecrated as the true king of France. So she fulfilled what the saints had told her to do. What followed was then a series of mixed victories until May 1430, when she was captured in an ambush. She tried several times to escape, and the Armagnacs tried several times to rescue her, but to no avail. The trial commenced, and it was so egregious in its bias, and just how many standard rules of trials at the time that it repeatedly broke, under which legal seatings would be considered legitimate, that even English loyalists of both the clergy and military leadership started calling out everybody and speaking out against the trial, but they would then be punished with death or exile. So Joan of Arc was charged with heresy. However, heresy was only a capital crime in the case of a repeat offense. So what did they get her on? Cross-dressing. She refused to take off her armor and would not wear the dress or skirt that the guards had provided. She explained this as the only measure of protection she had against the men who would come into her cell at night. Fair. The trial was deemed so criminally corrupt that its documents were used in the eventual case for her canonization. On May 30th, 1431, Joan of Arc was tied to a tall pillar in Rouen. She asked the clergy to hold a crucifix before her so that she could gaze upon her lord as she prayed. It was custom that someone sentenced to death would be hanged so that their neck would be broken, or they would be strangled or have their throat cut before being burnt at the stake. Burning at the stake was at this time more so used as a symbolic act of condemnation and also of purgation in order to drive out the sin that the person was said to be responsible for. It was never the cause of death, but not for Joan. Joan of Arc was burned alive. When it was over, the English raked the coals to expose her charred body so that no one could claim that she had escaped or lived due to some false miracles. They then burned the body a few more times and then dumped the ashes into the river to prevent anyone from getting any piece of her and holding it as a relic. Later, the executioner, a man named Geoffrey Thurage, said, I greatly fear to be damned, for I have burned a holy woman. In Hear History book, Transgender Warriors, the genderqueer activist Leslie Feinberg, may their memory always be a blessing, argues that the historical evidence shows that this saint was not just a warrior woman who took up armor for practicality, but a sort of third-gender shaman, and the court documents about her refer to local peasants' beliefs that her gender variance was sacred in and of itself, which was part of why the Catholic Church saw her as threatening to its power. This makes a ton of sense as to Joan's gender variance, ecstatic experiences, the only remaining accounts of which are church-sanctioned, and even supposed chastity. 
So that is the story of Joan of Arc. So I like, yeah, I knew like some of that vaguely. What's strange to me is that most of what I know um, about Joan of Arc didn't come from like a history class. It came from like video games. Right. Uh, because she's uh, like kind of picked, like there's all, she's like referenced in armor or as a sword or just like actually referenced if we're talking about like the Fate Stay series. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, She's remained um, a constant favorite for all, all kinds yeah. of media. Well, she's like an archetype that's kind of unique, but also really, like, useful. Well, especially in video game terms, I feel like she reminds me a lot of Lilith in that way, where it's like, mm -hmm. it's just really rich, like, yep. earth to constantly plow and find something new and how you can depict it, what it's important is, you know. But it's mm -hmm. vague enough that you can kind of do what you want with it. Nobody's going to say anything. Yeah, and it's like a lot of, like, anime was doing this, cartoons have done this, where it's like, a lot of just uh digging at history for content mm -hmm. and so like even one of the villains in that series is uh Ghidre, which is like was like one of the companions of Joan of Arc but then like murdered a shit ton of children um and so it's like even like people next to Joan of Arc are getting like kind of the treatment by virtue of how like powerful Joan of Arc's story is mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating because otherwise, I don't know if we'd know who Gidera is. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely think that there's a lot uh, uh, to sort of process in how her story has been told. Um, mm. And I use her for Joan of Arc because I'm not just going to, like, assign Assume her, an identity, yeah. <laughs> you know, without her input, without her... I mean, she died before the age of 20. We don't know what she would have gone on to believe or identify as and as you know we're also talking about the mid or the early 1400s. to mid 1400s we don't know how she would have gone about that we do know that she was undoubtedly gender variant we do know that she fought on battlefields and like played a huge part in this war for her part of it um and is obviously an icon in french history for that reason and that she then eventually she was treated so egregiously that the, the Catholic Church could literally only canonize her to try and make up for it and like yeah. make her a saint as a form of apology. But yeah, I mean, I definitely kind of see a lot of the stuff that we've talked about with Aphrodite and with Ares and with Hermes in her and her story yeah it's almost like the trinity of those three sort of like if you math equation them together it's sort of if you made them like a triangle she's like the yeah. center point you know what i mean yeah you're absolutely right. it's yeah. really interesting which is why i know it's not the same thing but it does remind me of like harriet tubman yeah because like i feel like again kind of bringing up the the idea of like uh, chattel slavery and like the stripping of gender other than like some really basic fucking shit right um, and then to be doing things outside of even what gender you are like maybe even loosely attached to by society um, to like then defy that and move outside of that um, and I think also just in the sense of the purviews right like Harry Tubman being a spy during the Civil War. Mm. Um, there's Ares, there's Hermes. Uh, she was literally a messenger. Yeah. yeah. I think her just compassion for what she was doing in the first place, mm -hmm. like I think very much so registers for Aphrodite. For sure. Uh, and then moving backwards from Aphrodite to more of that warrior, war and love and like, I'll shoot you if you don't come with me. Yeah. Like, like to freedom. Like, like 
that that's some that's some tough love, and right? So like I feel also like also the sovereignty part of it. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like Venus goddesses in general being so intrinsically tied with like oftentimes the sovereignty of the state because they would be a sanctioned goddess, but mm-hmm. also having to do with like someone's own pursuit for freedom, and that in a lot of ways and in a lot of places there was a lot of practices done under the name of that goddess, whether or not she was sanctioned, that were not sanctioned. And you wouldn't see that with many of the other gods. The draw was there with her for some reason, you know, Yo. where you'd see more illicit things done. And so, yeah, I think that's really interesting because um, I always, to me, self-sovereignty is always, like, the most powerful form, you know? Yeah, I say this all the time and, like, have been developing this idea as I've learned more history, and it's like, there are certain spiritual practices that I think are so intrinsically powerful that they cannot just be removed. Mm. And like, I feel like there's a lot of proof and a lot of evidence of that, especially with the middle talking about the middle passage. Uh Um, You don't, you don't, you don't just remove veneration Mm -mm. from people. And I think people hesitate, but like we still like black people, even in the deepest Southest of Christians uh, still practice ancestor veneration. Mm. Um, through the way, and especially like we don't, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but we elevate like folks like Harriet Tubman, where we do things in the name of like those folks, right? Moving forward from them. Um, it's like, it's not just like learning history at that point, right? No. Especially if people are moving past their means to be able to like accomplish great feats yeah. in, by virtue of thinking of those people. So I think about like Sojourner Truth too, like the, the Ain't I a Woman speech, which if you haven't read that or you don't know what that is, definitely check it out. It's like a very, it's like, like the uh simplest way to explain intersectionality Mm. um but uh it's like they by and i think about this about w du bois and like just like a lot of those heroes and like the kind of because of how we've moved in society is away from quote-unquote needing culture heroes uh because capitalism replaces a lot of that Mm. um in the things that stand in the face of it move backwards in time and use more oral uh, practices, moral, more things that kind of go back to that. Um, and cultural heroes were usually like somewhat divine, right? Like mm-hmm. some intermediary between. Um, and so it's like, uh, we kind of attribute that to God, quote unquote, but it's like God is very general in this situation, I think purposefully, um, or at least maybe unwittingly. But uh, all of that to say. From what I've think, seen of it, it does to me a lot of times ring a little bit kind of like Catholic folk magic where yeah. God is it's the ex- utilitarian source of power that this great person used to accomplish this thing. Yeah. yeah, And it's all for the glory of God, but like this person did the thing and we're talking about the person doing the thing. And they get canonized for it. Yes. Right? It's not just like a, another example of God. It's like, no, that person does get to stick around. Right. 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 And like be in our consciousness right. as we move forward as people. So it's like it is, uh, and I and I'm a lot less familiar with South American like history and like the way that things move there. But from what I've learned, it sounds similar to like the way like I know there's in Venezuela there's like this woman um, she like is usually with a snake mm-hmm. and she's like a cultural hero there and I think she's like divine. But then after like all of the it's kind of akin. A lot of times it's kind of akin to like High John the Conqueror. Where you're like, okay, yeah, this was definitely originally a person, but they become yeah. so not even divinized, not even like made into a god, but they are 
seen as a folk hero of such renown and such power that they could then be a spirit that you could call out to for help yeah you know? and i think that makes a lot of sense talking about like these three in the sense that they are like the more personal influences mm-hmm. uh and the planets they're tied to are the more personal planets and so like when and they we... deal with a lot more immediate concerns it's not yeah. just like necessarily big life stuff all the time it's a lot more this is what makes up my every day yeah yeah um and so i think like when we kind of uh, get to those points where we uh, exemplify those kind of personal things in big ways. So like kind of what you're saying, like the interface between like, this is my everyday, so let me change it yeah, so that it's not this everyday for everyone else. Right. Um, I think it makes sense that like those three come into influence because it's like the directiveness and combat of ideas in terms of like Aries. It's like the passion to like be moved or like to love things enough to like do something about it of Aphrodite. And then I think just like the communication, the transformation of oneself to a situation in order to affect change mm-hmm. of Hermes. Um, well, and, you also uh, need that liminal trickster thinking outside the box energy. Of yeah, she's Hermes literally a spy. To be able to challenge <laughs> the existing order. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get what I mean? Like, you need, yeah. it's not just necessarily intellect, it's how it's applied. And that's a very Hermes thing. It's know? creative yeah. in a particular kind of way. It's mm-hmm. like creative and in the trickster way, which isn't always negative. It's you know what I mean. It's not always yeah, malicious. Yeah. It's it's positive. Yeah. Because the thing you're fighting yeah. may, might be more negative. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you still have to uh, think the same way. It's interesting. Hundred percent. Yeah. Interestingly, too, just like as a as a side thing, if you look at the three saints that appear to her, they line up pretty well with Ares, oh, Aphrodite, oh, wow. and Hermes. Because St. Margaret of Antioch has long been thought to be some sort of Venusian water-related goddess that got repackaged. Uh-huh. St. Catherine of... I believe it's St. Catherine of Siena. I'd have to go back and look. But she's scholars, students. Like, she's got that whole uh-huh. intellect thing. And then you cool. have Archangel Michael, the warrior. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> it's almost like you literally have that sort of trinity or that triad that we've been And that was about. like her sort of like birth into what her like, that was life the mission catalyst. was. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Huh. Yep. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I always, I just love St. Margaret of Antioch because there's all these really incredible, incredible images of her you can find because she's one of the saints that's always seen with a dragon that she's awesome. like uh, got yeah, under I've, her control I've, i can think of how she looks yeah but there's some really great images of her that you see from like paintings where she's like standing on the dragon has it yoked and she's just kind of like pristine <laughs> and like riding the dragon across the water and you're like wait a minute bitch what was badass yeah what yeah so Hilarious. Wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> That's amazing. Anyway, y'all, so that cool. is our Amphorosode. No, shouts to Harriet Tubman, shouts to Joan of Arc. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Finding interesting <laughs> connections, too, between things throughout our like our history and our perception. And I think it's really interesting how you find these parallels with things that like don't seem like they would ever be parallel. All of these things. And then suddenly it's like it's the exact thing. 100%. I mean, I definitely think that there's something to like you know how you would go about it when it comes to that final moment with each of these goddesses when i you know i think about when we talked about in the hestia episode you know the final vestal virgin who mm-hmm. walked in on that christian noblewoman snatching the necklace off of the statue and yeah. putting it on herself you know and how did she react and she reacted in a way that made a lot of sense for being with vesta 
Yeah. You know, slash Hestia. But yeah. when you look at, you know, what would the priestess of, you know, Venus or Aphrodite do? I think she'd be a lot more aggressive. You know, I think mm-hmm. she would absolutely put on armor and go to war. Yeah. You know, that sort of, I, if I die here, I do it because I would not have let anyone take my freedom you know so anyway shout out to all the warrior women and all of the gender variant soldiers and you know fighters of all kinds who fought and bled and often died for what they believed in and especially when they were doing so for the freedom of others Mm -hmm. amen (laughs) with that being said we love you for tuning in if you want to get a hold of us, you can hit us up at whatgodwasqueer@gmail.com. You can find us at TikTok and Instagram at whatgodwasqueer. And you can also leave us a voice note at anchor.fm slash whatgodwasqueer. But that's about it for us today for our m 4 episode, And that means it's time for our cacophony of queerness. And I'm here with my lispy Invisalign fucking foolishness. So I'm ready. <laughs> Be gay! Be gay! That's gay! Do crime! Do crime! Let's do it. Let's do I like it. Very yeah. on theme, on theme. Yeah, very good. The guys are always watching. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>